guys, this is Desi, and welcome back to my podcast, Candle in a Dark Room. So today, my special guest is Dr. Beal. So Dr. Beal, he is, has been the director of the Trauma Center in Utah since 1994. He has worked in the trauma field for over 33 years. He has a PhD degree in clinical psychology, and he specializes in trauma work. We are here to talk about all things trauma. Dr. Beal, thank you for being on my podcast. And other than what I mentioned, is there anything else that you want to say to introduce yourself? No, I'm um, I'm passionate about the field. I've never even gotten close to burnout with my work. I love the work. Awesome. And it's it's... It's multidimensional. There's so many aspects to it. I, I will be studying hard and learning for the rest of my life, mm-hmm. and I'll just be scratching the surface. There's yeah, a lot to it. A lot to trauma. And well, like I said, thank you for taking your time to speak with us. And the first question I have is, what can you explain exactly what trauma is? Well, trauma is, of course, physical or mental-emotional, and mm-hmm. we're talking about mental-emotional trauma today, although... Physical trauma can also contribute to mental-emotional trauma. So when a traumatic event happens, uh, a person usually is in an experience of tremendous fear or terror, Mm -hmm. threat to life, or some kind of experience that's very out of the ordinary Mm -hmm. and prevents them from functioning normally for a period of time. Okay. If the trauma is chronic... It can interfere with their ability to function or how they process information uh, for a lifetime, depending on the severity and how the treatment works for them. Mm-hmm. Are there different types of trauma? And if so, what are those? Well, that's a good question. I think two broad categories of trauma would be interpersonal mm-hmm. and then general. Okay. Interpersonal trauma is usually more impactful and injures the victim more severely, such as abuse, uh, assault, um, burglaries, you know, in which people are injured, war trauma, of course. Mm -hmm. Those kind of traumas of an interpersonal nature tend to contribute to post-traumatic stress disorder more frequently. The general trauma would be catastrophes, car accidents, and those kind of things. Of course, they can lead to PTSD, but it's usually a little more easily treated. Right. It doesn't affect them mostly their whole life. Uh, not as not as frequently. Okay. What is the process of trauma? Like in the brain, how does it work? Well, we have three brains. Mm-hmm. As you know, we have the primitive brain, which is or the reptilian brain, which runs the body, and that's okay. basically uh, at the base of the at the top of the spine as it connects with the brain, and that like breathing, uh, the drives that make the body run. The midbrain or limbic system is the emotional brain where trauma is, for the most part, stored. Okay. And then the cortex or thinking brain. So the process of trauma, uh, and this is where it gets uh, complex, is not just stored in the brain. Trauma can be throughout the body. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, there can be what's called tissue memories, for example, where a person re-experiences in parts of their body the trauma that originally they suffered. For instance, uh, I've seen uh, people have rope burns on their neck where they were there was an attempt to hang them. Yeah. Or uh, there can be real intense pain in certain parts of the body as traumas are relived. Right. Uh, that's something I wanted to say at the onset because 
we, we tend to oversimplify trauma. I say, well, it's right in the middle of the brain in the limbic system, mm -hmm. but it is pervasive throughout the body, right. and we have to keep that in mind as we treat. Uh, the implication is, and maybe we'll get into this more later, multimodal treatments tend to be more effective than just like a talk therapy or even EMDR, okay. where you, ac you let the body find expressions to work out the traumatic storage in the body. Okay. Maybe we'll talk more about that later. So the process of trauma is the storage of a traumatic event in such a way that it tends to be relived. Mm -hmm. And that reliving of the trauma can be in nightmares, flashbacks, reliving of an event, triggering emotionally, like smelling a cologne that it, it was yes. worn by the perpetrator, etc. For me, that's, it, I like that you say that because I remember thinking I was crazy mm -hmm. because I would disassociate and I would come out of it because I don't remember my dissociation. So what would happen is I would black out, mm. um, reenact my abuse. I would go back to being eight years old, talk like I was eight years old. And, you know, they would be like, how old are you? What's your name? I would cry for my mom, things like that. And I wouldn't remember. But then I would come out of it and I would physically feel the pain. Mm -hmm. I would, you know, my arms would be in pain. My like body would physically hurt. I remember one time coming out of it and my stomach hurting because mm -hmm. I had thought in my head I had been punched by him, mm -hmm. you know? And so those type of things, like I said, I always was like, how is my body feeling this even though it's not happening? So the fact that you're saying that is really puts in perspective that like I'm not crazy and that it no. really does your body reenacts the trauma because in your head it thinks that it's happening again. If we could elaborate on that just a little bit more. Yeah. Trauma, I don't like to um, use acronyms or try to s oversimplify what happens but in in general terms uh, you speak of dissociation. If I could address that for just yeah, a minute. Yeah, so trauma is stored uh, behaviorally affectively in our emotions, our sensations, and even kinesthetically in how our body operates. Mm -hmm. it, it is stored in every function that makes a human being a human being. Right. So uh, what tends to happen with trauma is those functions, instead of being integrated and working together, tend to separate. So your thinking can be separated from your emotions or your sensations can be disconnected from the experience of your body kinesthetically. Okay. So there tends to be a separation. So with dissociation, what happens is, let's say, it's, and often it begins in childhood. Dissociation usually begins in childhood. Some exceptions, but not many. And so, and, and when I first encountered this at the beginning of my career, I was in awe mm -hmm. that the human mind can divide to survive. Yeah. That is amazing. I mean, I, and I started to look at people's minds as a very large, beautiful home with rooms. Right. And the trauma stored in the rooms. Mm -hmm. And we have to help them process the pain in such a way that the rooms become emptied of the trauma enough so that the mind becomes more unified. Mm -hmm. Now, in cases where the trauma is severe and chronic, what can happen with a young child is they develop dissociative identity disorder. Mm -hmm. It does exist. I, in fact, I would say it's probably one of my specialties. I deal, I've, at any given time, I'm working with two to four people that are dis dissociative to that level. See, and that's interesting to me because, so when I was diagnosed with it at the rehabilitation center I was at, they didn't know what it was. Mm -hmm. So I remember I lived there for two years and I was there for so long because nobody knew what it was. All of a sudden mm -hmm. I'd be sitting there and I would change and I would, like I said, talk like a little girl and things would change and I would 
physically be and emotionally my mind everything would go back to when I was a child and here I am 15 years old and they had to actually call a doctor to diagnose me because they were like we don't know what we don't know what's wrong with her and so yeah I mean like you said it's caught you've seen it but a lot of people haven't it's right. not a very known disorder uh, the average is uh, seven practitioners seeing a person before an accurate diagnosis of dissociation is mm -hmm. made there, there's a common tool dissociative experience scale I'm, I say common in the trauma field which makes an accurate diagnosis of dissociation mm -hmm. and we all use it uh, and it's it, it kind of saddens me that often people who come here have been bouncing around in the, in the mental health field for years mm -hmm. and have never been diagnosed. Right. And this common uh, tool of dissociative experience skill would have identified it uh, and pinpointed the kinds of dissociation the person is experiencing. Okay. So, um, without going too much into that. So back to the child just real quick. Uh, the child has to survive. And sometimes that is a very complex thing to do. Mm -hmm. Why? Well, you've got so many things happening in the child's environment that is over their head. They don't know how to relate to it. Right. So the mind kind of divides and adapts, and they, there may be a part of them that relates to a father that's abusive, another part that relates to mother who is thoughtful but not protective. Right. Uh, there may be a part that relates to teachers, to animals, to situations, to all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And so the mind becomes a way to adapt to all these various stimulating and difficult experiences in the child's life. So what happens is as a child grows up, this dissociation ability, and I call it an ability because it's a survival skill, okay. will, will uh, be operating in the person unaware of it. Yeah. They just know, but there's a way to recognize it primarily is a loss of time. Yeah, For that's instance, how it would be. I would all of a sudden be sitting here, and three hours later I'd be like, why is everyone standing around me? And I would miss part of my day, and I would have no idea what happened. That is the most common way to discover dissociation. Okay. Uh, there are 28 questions in the dissociative experience scale. Hey, have you ever seen that? No. Maybe I'll give you one when we're done, so yeah, you could just kind of have it to refer to. Okay. But... Uh, I, I see a lot of adults come to the clinic uh, reported referred to me by a Division of Workforce Services, and they know our special. I've been working with them most since we've been in Salt Lake, and they know I do work with severe trauma and especially dissociation. But they're referred here because the person can't function at work. They're, they're on task, and all of a sudden, what have I been doing? Or the, the, the executives say, will you do this for me? Sure. And they... they they forget almost immediately what they were told because they check out. Yeah. So their their employment dysfunction is what brings them here from workforce services. Okay. Um, adolescents, they might be doing poorly in school. Yeah. They can't track. They can't stay on task. Now, what's ironic about it is this. People who have the ability to, to dissociate are above average in intelligence. Mm. Why? It takes a certain level of hardware in the brain to be able to dissociate. Not everyone can dissociate under severe trauma. Right. Only, only certain uh, brains that are evolved enough, so to speak, can, can start forming these rooms or parts to survive. So they don't do well in school, but they're the brightest, one of the brightest kids in the class. Yeah, I mean, as soon as my abuse started, I did that all through high school. 
And now that I am able to control my disassociation, I notice I can actually work. I can do things. And it took a long time of sure. me not being able to do work and keep a job and things like that because... But I didn't realize why. I thought, okay, maybe I have ADD. Maybe I have, I can't concentrate. And now that you're saying that, it makes so much sense. Thank you. I, I'm, gl I'm glad this is connecting with you. Yeah. If I just can have this interview and connect with you, I'll call it good. That's exactly. <laughs> yeah, because I've never, you know, other than being in tra treatment, I've never done EMDR. I've never done trauma uh -huh. actual work. Because when I left rehab, I was 17, and I've never really gone back since. Hmm. And yet, a few years ago, when my stepfather, the one who abused me, was released from prison, I noticed things started coming back. Mm. And I would kind of black out and my husband and stuff has never actually seen the dissociation but I did talk to a counselor and she saw it and the thing that's funny is the way my brain worked is I only did it when I was in a safe place mm -hmm. so when I would disassociate when I was in rehab it was with my specific therapist or with a certain person that I trusted mm -hmm. when I was in counseling again I started dissociating with her. I've never dissociated in front of my mom, my husband, my family, because in my head I know that's not okay. Mm -hmm. I don't ever want them to see that, and so I know. And so it's always been interesting how even though I don't remember dissociating, I can pretty much control it mm -hmm. until I'm in a safe place where my body and brain are like, okay, you can be like free for a minute, mm -hmm. and then I disassociate. That's a real that's skill. That's it seems to happen. That's very so. good. Uh, one other note on that as far as school performance. Uh, in addition to dissociation, let's say somebody has post-traumatic stress disorder, but they don't dissociate, okay. which is more frequently the case. Right. Um, attention deficit disorder has an, a very high correlation with post-traumatic stress disorder. Oh, okay. So um, it was kind of funny. When I first moved here, I wanted to research that in Salt Lake. And so I went to the school that had the most... Uh, likely students with PTSD. I explained to the principal my, you know, my theory and what the data was looking like. And uh, I said, I'd like to do some research on it and see a correlation between ADD and PTSD. Mm -hmm. And then we started talking about it. I said, wait a minute, I can't do that. He said, why? Because if I do uh, diagnostic work to identify PTSD, the perpetrators of the trauma will be the parents who won't give permission for the study to be done. I said, dang, I can't do that research. But that's that's the that's the problem. Is a lot of, of course childhood traumas from the parents or significant uh, people in the family in system. The actual home. Yeah. Yep. But there is a very high correlation between ADD and PTSD. Okay, that's so great to know. I actually just got on medication for it from my doctor like two weeks ago mm -hmm. because she's. I'm like, I can't concentrate. Right. So yeah, and it all makes sense. So what is the impact psychologically and physically to expose? Trauma, you already explained that, kind of how the body disassociates and smells and things like that. you have anything else in that? I do, actually. There's a, a very important study uh, done by Folletti um, at Kaiser Hospital where 17,000 people were studied who had various kind of medical problems. And then they did a straight correlation study where they identified adverse childhood experiences okay. and medical problems in adulthood. Straight correlation. The more adverse childhood experiences, the more medical problems. Oh. So that's one of the uh, devastating impacts of severe trauma, or even trauma in all of its forms, is that it has high correlation with medical problems. And my experience with my clients over the years has, has told me that. They come in and they'll have, all, 
And we're not just talking about certain kinds of medical problems, all kinds of medical problems. Yes. Cardiac problems, uh, liver problems, um, gee, you name it, really. I, I, I don't need to go into all the kind of medical problems, but there's a real high correlation with that. And so you say, why is that? And I think there's two gateways. Right. One gateway is when there's a tr when a person has trauma, it's like their adrenals, you know, the adrenals above the kidneys where adrenal, the adrenaline's produced, mm -hmm. are released at a high level and locked in. So you're almost always in a fight or flight response mode, right? right? So what happens is like it's like having, as far as your body is concerned, uh, the car's in drive, the pedal to the metal, and the brakes on. And what's happening to the engine? It's wearing out. Mm -hmm. And so, based on genetic vulnerabilities, the organs that are more vulnerable will start breaking down. Does that make wow. sense? That's, yeah. one, that's one pathway. The other pathway is risk behaviors. So, if you have a lot of PTSD you're dealing with, you do what's called self-medication. Mm -hmm. You'll do drugs, alcohol, uh, any, any number of addictive behaviors, risk behaviors, as a way of self-medicating. And those risk behaviors also open the door to medical problems. Right. Those are the two main pathways. So I, after I reported my abuse, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when I was mm. 15 years old. Mm. And I've dealt with it ever since. Mm. Um, same with chronic migraines. And, yeah, again, like, it's just, when you're saying all this, it's so, I've never had anyone say it in this way before. And it's so interesting to me that, like, oh, my gosh, right when, mm -hmm. after I reported and all this stuff was going on and after court, shortly after I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, first one in my family, no one else has ever had it, all of a sudden I have type 1 diabetes. This yeah. Is, yeah, this is one of the reasons that people need to understand trauma better is because medically it's a major con contributor. Mm -hmm. But also, if you look like at the diagnostic manual psychologists use, trauma is at the foundation of many disorders. It has a like 80% correlation with anxiety and depressive disorders, uh, the addictive behavior disorders, conduct disorders. Why? Because a person is trying to deal with it the yeah. best they can. And that might mean automatic development of emotional problems, or it might mean behavioral problems that lead to other difficulties. It, it forms a web of, com of difficulties the person has to deal with. Yeah. And, and I, I do feel strongly about advocating for the victims. I do a fair amount of court work because mm -hmm. of that, because their case needs to be understood. So when you have a defense attorney saying, no, this is a bunch of nonsense, right. my, 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 my client didn't, and then say, well, let's look at the facts. And so we'll get all that on the table, and people start going, really? Trauma does this? And he has this, or she has this? Mm -hmm. Say, there's a connection. Recognize it. Oh, I love that. That's, yeah, that's something that definitely needs to be pointed out people need to be more aware of because like you said i mean i worked with adolescents and you know crisis and all that and these kids aren't just acting that way for nothing like right. you said it's because of, they all have some underlying trauma yes. and so what are the benefits of emdr so you said you do emdr correct yes uh, just a little background on that. I was trained by Shapiro, Shapiro, Francine Shapiro, who developed it. Can you explain Sh what it is, too? Yeah, shortly after she discovered it, uh, she came. Uh, she was in. She discovered it as I remember walking across a park in San Francisco, San Francisco Bay Park, oh, wow. and she noticed her eyes were moving as she was working on this uh, se severely emotionally charged event, as I recall. 
And so she, you know, being an observer, she said, my eyes are moving. So she started experimenting with it. She went to her friends and tried moving their eyes while they were thinking about things and that were of a emotional or even a traumatic nature and, and started to make to connect the dots. Eye movement, or what later became bilateral stimulation, the resolution of trauma. And so she came up the coast to Seattle, where I was living, and did a training with a small group of trauma specialists. I believe it was in 87. And uh, anyway, uh, I, I armed with this method. I provided treatment for our severe trauma survivor. She had been uh, assaulted horribly, uh, panic attack, flashbacks, poor functioning, etc. In two hours, it was completely resolved. Wow. I became a believer. Uh, we don't really know in the brain what's going on. Somehow, bilateral stimulation taps into the limbic system and processes or metabolizes the negative emotions from the event. Mm -hmm. uh, it's especially good for what we call ac acute or discrete trauma where like an accident or an assault, an event happens. Okay. It's really good for that. Not so good for like childhood abuse where there's multiple events. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and there'll be people that will disagree with this statement, but it works better with discrete traumas. Oh, at, okay. At the same time, I was developing rapid pain release, which is a way for a person to go into the subconscious and actually remove pain without having to deal with memories. But that's another discussion for another time. I use both, rapid pain release and EMDR. And so when you do EMDR, it's doing something with the brain to bring up the senses, or what exactly? It activates the memory. Okay. And you can almost watch them. And as, as you're doing the eye movement, it kicks in, and they, it's like they're re-experiencing the traumatic event. You keep the eyes moving, which I usually do. Some people tap knees or whatever, but I found this to be effective. Okay. And so I'm doing the eye movement, and it's working. You can see the brain is just working. You know, it, And then I'll stop them after uh, it seems like a, a segment of the memory has been processed. I'll say, okay, close your eyes, take a breath. What's coming to you next? And they'll talk about the next thing that their mind is producing as part of the resolution of this trauma. Now what can happen is they'll go from this traumatic event to another one because the brain is processing connections to this trauma that we're working on. The brain is an associating machine. So if you're working on one trauma, you might kick up another one. So okay. that, that's one of the reasons it's important to be trained. Just anybody moving their fingers can right. cause problems. Lots of, like, trauma. Too much, too much is going on and, right. and they're not trained in how to manage that. Okay. What are the benefits of EMDR? Like, what are the benefits of how they feel after? Does it, because you said it brings up memories that they maybe have, like, kind of pushed back or whatever. Right. What, like, if anything, I'd be like, okay, well, wouldn't that make them more upset? That's, that's why I've honestly never done EMDR, uh -huh. because I'm worried what it's going to bring up that I don't remember. Right. Hey, guys, so quick break. So if you came to my podcast launch back in August, you saw one of the vendor booths from the lovely ladies from Clone Apparel. The founder, Alex, was actually a guest on episode 10, Darkness Before Dawn, which was about suicide prevention. They specialize in apparel for every booty, men and women. I can literally go from recording this podcast to the gym to picking up the kids from school and never have to worry about them moving, scrunching, and showing my booty. They are squat proof, moisture wicking, and did I mention super affordable? I'm talking nothing over $40. You can find them on Facebook or on Instagram at Clone Apparel. That's K-L-O-N Apparel. And the link to their website is in the bio. If you use my discount code, 
candle in a dark room, one word, you will get 20% off. So make sure you check them out because I know you'll be obsessed too. And so how does that heal after you do a session? Well, first of all, uh, if you're doing EMDR right, and let me unpack that just a little bit more. If you have a memory, you want to be careful not to necessarily activate the whole memory. Okay. You want to maybe work on parts of the memory so you don't open up Pandora's box. Oh, okay. Like, for instance, we have an hour to do a session. You, you, you get your definition and boundaries on the, on the traumatic event, and then say, mm, we're not going to do this in an hour. I think it's going to be like a three or four hour memory. Oh, okay. And so we'll do EMDR on part of a, an assault, for example. Break it up. We break it up. And then what happens is when that's resolved, the four main kinds of, of symptoms of PTSD, for example, tend to reduce. For instance, flashbacks, uh, nightmares decrease. Okay. Anxiety symptoms decrease. Um, that depression that often alternates with anxiety decreases. With those memories? With those as it relates to that memory. Okay. And then uh, the ability to function improves. The, the results are significant. And I am really appreciative of Shapiro's work because uh, we're going into all parts of the world with EMDR to deal with, for instance, the uh, violence in Africa. Mm. A lot of victims of trauma there. Yeah. I've worked with some of them. Uh, I've worked with some survivors of uh, 9-11 using EMDR. It just, it's a very useful tool in its place. Okay. Um, when you deal, when you work with somebody with trauma, so somebody comes in and they have all this trauma, what are the steps of helping them heal through that trauma? Obviously EMDR, but what are the steps that you take to kind of, like is there a certain amount of steps that you go through or mm-hmm. is there a certain like routine that you do to work through trauma? Well, um, yes and no. Each individual has their own way of relating to the trauma in their life. Okay. And so I try to get an idea, how are they living? What are, how are they coping? How are they dealing with the pressures in their life? Mm-hmm. Are there any current traumas still occurring? For instance, if a woman is in a domestic violent relationship, I'm not going to do MDR. Right. I've got to get her safe first. Mm-hmm. It's like the ahead. mind is not going to let something go if new ones are coming in. Right, okay. So the first step in any trauma treatment, in my opinion, is safety. Okay. You have to make the sh- sure the person is safe physically in their environment and emotionally they have, because they have the ability to have life skills and coping skills to manage strong emotions. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. That's the first step, safety. safety uh, okay. Trauma resolution is the second phase. And then the third phase is reconnection. I call it reconnection, which means connecting to people and then connecting to the, especially nature. You start mm-hmm. feeling nature again, which is a good sign you're healing. Okay. What do you mean by nature? Uh, the beauties around us, and they could be any number of things. A child lying on a floor reading a book is nature. So just like noticing those The beauties of, of the world around us. Okay. So can you explain kind of with the brain, what is the difference between childhood trauma and adulthood trauma? That's a complex question. Uh, and let me try to at least discuss several aspects of it. One of them, a child, they don't have the verbal skills to talk about what happened very well. Mm-hmm. Now, we have a sand tray room in there. I'll show you at the end of the interview. Okay. Where we have hundreds and hundreds of objects a child can pick from a shelf, put in a sand tray, and use objects to relate what's going on in their mind and in their world. Mm -hmm. Non-directive play therapy. 
Uh, and the reason being, they don't have the, the child doesn't have the resources to explain what's going on, and they don't have the emotional resources to to deal with it. And so that hints uh, dissociative disorders develop in childhood. Okay. They don't have the resources to uh, to discuss it or to deal with it in ways adults do. Uh, childhood traumas often lead to adult medical problems, as I explained. Mm-hmm. Whereas adult traumas are usually uh, treated more effectively now because we know more about adults and trauma and we can help them do things to self-heal. Okay, so you think it's easier to heal an adult that's been traumatized more than a child? Well, it depends on when the trauma occurred for the adult. Like for instance, adults molested as children Uh, have childhood issues. But if an adult's assaulted as an adult and compared to a child, is it going to heal better than with a child? I, you know, it, it's hard to generalize, but I would say more often than not, if an adult has a trauma and they get into proper treatment with a trauma specialist, mm-hmm. uh, the the work can be done to remove a lot of that Not trauma. the long-term effects of it. There's one, there's, there, I have several exceptions to it, which I should mention. Okay. I do a lot of work with vets. And vets who have multiple deployments without any trauma resolution between deployments, the trauma is often packed in and condensed, and it becomes really hard to resolve. Oh, okay. I've worked with a number of vets who we, just, we really have trouble resolving the PTSD because of multiple deployments and no taking care of it as it happened. Right. That's one. Another one is uh, adults in situations like... Uh, and I hate to use this word in the interview, but torture or really extreme traumas over a period of time can also have that effect, like I referred to with vets. Okay. And it just takes a long time to take care of. So like long-term trauma. Chronic severe like trauma. one-time assault. Yeah, okay. yeah. Big difference, sense. yeah. So do you think that the, the way that like people go through the trauma and kind of work through the trauma with children and adolescents is different than adults? Like the way their body reacts to yeah. the trauma and senses and things yeah, like that? Yeah, there's different treatment modalities. Uh, for both children and adolescents, the, the sand tray room is really effective. Okay, and adults... It's, it's a way of communicating mm-hmm. without words. Right, okay. Adults too, as, if they're especially a dissociative. Because they'll have adolescent and child parts Yes. that can get expression in the sanitary room. Oh, okay. Okay, so what is something that people need to look for in disassociation? Like, to see, so let's say you're talking to my husband and you were telling him, this is what you need to look for to know when Desi is disassociating. Is everybody is different, or can you kind of tell when somebody, when anybody is disassociating? Well, that's a good question. I, I think one of the things you look for is uh, the, the loss of time and the inability to explain why. Like, the person might do things, and your husband has said, why, why did you do that? Do what? Well, you got this book and put it over here like you were going to read, and then you went in and got on the treadmill. It, it doesn't make sense. So what? I don't know. I don't remember. The I don't know response is frequent with dissociation. Another one that's really interesting is people are accused of lying when they don't think they've lied because they have different parts of them that are answering questions. Okay. So did you did you did you eat the rest of the lasagna in the fridge? I didn't do that. And there's there's some ketchup. <laughs> I didn't do that. Well, there's some Oh, I guess I did. Okay. Or they say it's there's so many ways it comes out. There's a lot of eating disorders associated with trauma. For instance, okay. some will have a bunch of wrappers on their nightstand from chocolates. 
did you eat chocolates last night? No, I slept all the way through the night. Woke up in the middle of the night and ate. You know, so they, they think they're lying when they're really not lying. It's just the part that did the stuff isn't talking. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, that is very interesting. So what and is there a difference between DID and PTSD? Because I've been diagnosed with both. Would you oh, yeah. say it's in the, I mean, it's the same category, right? Well, it's trauma-induced okay. most of the time with DID, always with PTSD. To, to make the diagnosis of PTSD, there has to be a traumatic event that caused it. Right. And it has okay. to be identified. Can I take a minute and talk about that yeah. before I talk, answer course, your question? Yeah. Because I think it's a mistake to get too specific in what causes PTSD. Okay. For instance, Harvard came out with some research, uh, was about 10 years ago, that chronic high stress can create PTSD. Mm -hmm. But that goes against the definition of the diagnostic manual. But my experience with people is a lot of human conditions that are severe and chronic can lead to post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms. Okay. Because okay. they're so highly stressed. They're highly stressed and they can't escape it. Right. Feeling okay. trapped, for instance. Anyway, that's... PTSD, I think, is too narrowly defined by professionals. I think it needs to be broadened and, and cover more of the human existence. Okay. Okay. So, dissociative identity disorder uh, is on a continuum. Dissociative identity disorder is out here, and the various dissociative disorders go down to normal dissociation. Normal dissociation does exist as well. For instance... Uh, you're driving from Salt Lake to uh, Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. You can't explain what was going on between 3 in the afternoon and 5 in the afternoon. Why? Mm -hmm. You checked out. The okay. part of you that drives was driving while you were looking around at the scenery. Yes. There's normal dissociation and there's clinical dissociation. And what would that would be that you just described? Normal dissociation. Normal. Yeah. Okay. When, when I was in school, there were some teachers I could guarantee I was going to check out when they taught. They were so blasted boring. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I, wait a minute. What, did what I, just happened? What just happened? It's over. Well, and I think know? that happens with like, I've explained this to somebody before. Like I drove from one location to another downtown. Oh man, I don't know how I got here. But exactly. But just by routine, I yeah. got there. Automatic. Yeah. We have an autopilot in us that takes care of certain behaviors. Right. Like women can cook this fabulous meal and they're doing something else in their mind. In their mind. Normal dissociation. Okay. Okay, so clinical dissociation um, is still a skill of survival mm -hmm. rather than just function. And uh, it's, it's in the post-trauma arena, but it's more of the extreme end of trauma that caused it. Okay. Almost always for DID to develop, there has to be extreme trauma in childhood right okay and that's different from ptsd that like you said can be triggered by basically anything that's highly stressed and causes that anxiety yeah with terror especially but anyway if you have did you have ptsd right if you have ptsd you probably don't have did but you could okay 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 so this is an important one what is the best way to talk to children and adolescents about trauma? Uh, like if they if they have like it, how to talk about it. it. What's the best way to approach, not me as a therapist, but just me kind of being a support system, things like that, to be able to talk and be supportive to somebody that's going through trauma? Because you can't just straight up ask a child about if they were raped or abused, right. things like that, obviously. So what's the best way to talk with children and adolescents about these issues? Well, I think it's important to remember that trauma is stored in the limbic system. Okay. That is not a verbal system. It's a visual system and emotive system. 
So uh, when I work with children and adolescents, I try, I try to get away from talking altogether. I say, can we just draw some pictures? And their, their subconscious will start producing stuff for them to draw, and that's where you start getting clues. That's okay, that makes sense. So you don't want to necessarily talk to them no. about the trauma. No. You just kind of do things eventually it's going to come out. Yeah, I use puppets, uh, drawing, sand tray, doing things with making things. And, what about and with like parents though? Like let's say, you know, my mom, my mom, when I, after I told and everything, you know, we didn't talk about it, but what would be something that you could do for your child to help them work through this, their trauma that they just went through? Draw with them. Play Even with if them. they're teenagers, doesn't matter. The or age. if they're if they're teenagers, I think one of the best time to talk is about ten minutes before they go to sleep. Mm -hmm. I would lay down with my kids, and we would do stories like, "Okay, I'm gonna say a sentence, and you say a sentence," and we would just make stories lying in bed. And they, why? Because their defenses are down. Okay. And they'll they'll let stuff out. And then that's when they become vulnerable and they'll talk. Okay. Yeah. That in other words. Give them opportunities to express themselves non-verbally. Oh, okay. So what about if you can't, don't talk to them, how do you help a child or adolescent cope with trauma uh, other than just therapy? Anything else? Yeah, I can just give you a, a couple skills that would maybe help. Slow, deep breathing is very, very valuable. Okay. It, it really tranquilizes the body. There's a thing called EFT, or Emotional Freedom Techniques, which is tapping meridian points in the face. Oh. That's another discussion. That's a real good way to process emotions quickly. If they're like having an anxiety attack or panic yeah, attack? Yeah, you can tap those meridian points. Oh. I'll look up EFT on the internet and you'll you'll come up with how to do it and okay. those kind of My things. My nephew, he's 10 and he has these night attacks. I don't know what Night exactly terrors probably. Yeah, but he's not even asleep yet. It's yeah. before he goes to bed and he will just cry and, you know for hours sometimes. And so that's something good to know because I've wondered how can I help him when he's having this full-blown attack. In fact, I'll, I'll just show you the, the tapping points and you can use them with him. Okay. Uh, beginning of eyebrow. Okay. Outside corner of eye. Okay. Under eye and tap about that long. Under nose, under lip. First part makes a question mark. Oh yeah, it does. Okay, that's easy to remember. Below collarbone. Okay. Ribs below arm. And okay. just by doing that, you'll tend to diffuse you know, oh the negative God. emotions. I tell people, don't generally do it in public. They'll think you're kind of crazy. Except there's <laughs> one place you can do it, and that's Walmart. I mean, you, you can do anything at Walmart. Nobody looks yeah, at no you. No one looks at you anyway. So. That's true. Um, so, you know, this is something I've always wondered is, can you really truly heal from trauma? And the reason I ask that is, yes, you know, I am healed for the most part, but I'm still something I struggle with on a daily basis, you know, dealing with things that come up. And I've just wonder to myself, is this ever going to, am I ever going to fully be healed or is this something it's going to constantly my whole life take work? That's, that's a, a really sobering question. And I've, I, here's how I've come to understand it. I don't know if many traumas are completely healed from, but I do think most traumas can be overcome. Right. And I think, and I think that's where I'm at. It's more the overcoming. Yeah. But it's sometimes disheartening when I'm like, am I going to still am I going to always have these moments where I kind of have my breakdowns or things trigger me you know things yeah. like that I, I think with the passage of time like most most men and women I see with the severe trauma come in here in their 40s and 50s mm -hmm. because that's when the symptoms start tending to get worse why 
while that defensive shield that was around the mind to protect it from trauma starts to wear down with life stress. Mm. And so the stuff inside can just start coming out. But I have the deepest respect for my clients. And my feeling of, about them, is, and this is what I've learned as a conviction, the human spirit is stronger than anything that can happen to it. And I mean anything. I've seen, I think by now, pretty much everything horrible that happens to human beings. Mm -hmm. Unspeakable things. But they somehow, in that that's infinite inside them, they overcome it. And they, they're not just survivors, but because of the skills they have to develop to cope and survive in the first place and overcome in the second place, they become thrivers on a higher level. Wow. Yeah. That makes me emotional just because, like I said, for me, it's just something that I do think about often. And so, like you, like you said, the overcoming thing, I know, you know, I am overcome, but I also know it's still a process. But I definitely think I'm getting there and it's a, it's a work in progress. But, but see, the skills you acquire in overcoming will give you greater compassion and empathy for others, mm -hmm. will give you wisdom on how to talk with somebody that's struggling. Right. They're just skills that will be part of your who you are. And that's kind of where it is. You know, as the crisis worker, as all these things I've done, I wouldn't be able to do that if right. I w wouldn't have the history that I have. Right. So is there a specific amount of number sessions that need to be done for EMDR? You don't know when you start working with somebody how many discrete traumas they may have mm -hmm. or you don't know what they're dealing with presently that has to be taken care of before EMDR can really be effective. Oh, See there's a lot okay. of specific issues that have to be addressed before you determine a number of sessions. Uh, generally when I'm using EMDR for a discrete trauma it's usually around five or six sessions. Okay. Like a car accident, uh, an assault, something like that. Okay. But that but that caveat has to be said, unless, let me give you, can I give you just a quick example? Yeah, um, I'm getting old, so, you know, I can talk all day, you know. <laughs> no, I, me too, so it's okay, I can talk it's, it's all day. Part of, it's part of my condition. <laughs> so anyway, someone was referred to me uh, who was an iron worker, and he was getting dizzy up on these skyscrapers. Oh, okay. And so he was referred to me, and uh, the, the event was, he was sitting on a bench, this was many, many years ago, so there won't be any connection made, and he witnessed a murder. Uh, so he was a guy, guy was running. He was run over. Was a couple of guys got out and emptied their guns on him. So he had PTSD. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't resolve it with EMDR. It was a traumatic event, and it should have been resolvable. And so my mind went to something happened earlier that locked this event in place. Mm -hmm. So I said, "Okay, so tell me about your childhood. Is there any trauma?" We didn't have any trauma. I said, "We'll talk about it. Tell me about your childhood." And what came out was he thought his dad was going to beat his mom to death just about every day. I said, well, wasn't, wasn't that traumatic? That was life. I mean, it's just, it wasn't traumatic. It was just how we lived. I didn't know any different. I didn't know any different. He's mm -hmm. a fish in the water. So we resolved that using rapid pain release because there were so many events I couldn't use EMDR on it. And it was resolved. And then we cleaned up the murder he witnessed. Okay. So you see, I didn't. I thought, well, well, we'll probably take care of this event in about half a dozen sessions. Right. But because it was connected to childhood oh, yeah. trauma, it took more. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah, I learned so much today. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have anything else that you want to say about trauma or anything that we didn't discuss? Uh, this may surprise you. I think one of the pathways to overcoming trauma is our passions things that we're deeply committed to are involved with. For instance, I love the mountains and I love camping up there. I like to solo camp, be alone up there. Mm -hmm. Why? It's a passion. I grew up that way. 
I basically grew up in the woods growing as a kid. And so that, and that's another thing maybe to mention, the same things you did as a child to overcome trauma can be used to overcome the effects of trauma. Okay. So anyway, follow your passions, or as uh, Joseph Campbell says, follow your bliss. The things that really drive you will help you heal. Help you work through it all. Will help you work it through. So don't don't ignore the resources inside you to do important things in the process of overcoming the effects of your traumas. That makes sense. Building a ship at wow. sea, as they say. Yeah. Well, Dr. Bill, thank you so much for this interview. I mean, it, it just really put a lot in perspective that I kind of have just kind of put stuffed, you know what I mean, and didn't know the answers to. And even working in the field, it's something that you don't just find out these things. Right. And so thank you for taking the time to do this interview. And I think a lot of people that are listening to this, you know, I get a lot of messages of people dealing with trauma, and this is going to be very helpful. So, thank you again. And if, you know, more questions come up from them that you'd like me to try to feel, to just text me, and I'll try to text you a quick response. Perfect. So Thanks we can keep answers. helping them. Yes, know. I would definitely It's great like to work that. with you today. I don't know your name. Tamika. Tamika. <laughs> she's, she's part of my team, so. Yes. Great. All right, guys. Well, thank you for listening. Please make sure you follow my page, Candle. And